Wow. Um, we have been, on, we're in this second, uh, second week of Advent where we are attempting, it's, it's, it's such a good challenge as a, as a preacher, as someone who does this bit. It's such a good challenge to come back to something that's so familiar um, and try and view it with fresh eyes. Uh, and Advent, and I guess the two major seasons in the Christian calendar where we, where we approach really important high points. So if you think about Advent, is about as we approach the celebration and the, the, um, the reflection on the incarnation. That's, that word is where God comes into the world. He doesn't stay removed. He comes into the world. So it's that and then also obviously Lent as we approach um, the Holy Week and, and Jesus' death, burial and resurrection we come back and we remind ourselves of this story. And I know I'm looking at a lot of people who've been in church for a long time, maybe. And even if you haven't been in church a long time, you quite if you've been in Western culture, you're familiar with these stories. Um, and so there's a real challenge, but it's a good challenge to come back and look at things afresh and to find, hopefully, the same messages, remind ourselves of the same messages, uh, but also to perhaps see... Um, if there's something applicable to our, or there, there is, but to discover rather than see, it's not a question, but discover perhaps the, the applicable, the application of the deep truth to our life here and now. I, I was talking to a couple of people this week. Uh, I mentioned this story last, last week. I was in one of those contexts where I had uh, a bunch of um, people who do similar jobs to I do, so professional Christians, pastors and leaders, but from right across the the body of Christ and so there was people there from um, the Catholic Church, the people of the Anglican Church, there was Pentecostal Church, and um, uh, you know, whole it was probably as diverse a group of people. It was magnificent, and we were just talking about the conversation was around how how the good news of Jesus engages the culture, because that's what everyone who's fed income about Jesus is trying to nut out. Yeah, it seems really, really important, more important than ever. How do we? How does this cut through? We believe we, we do what we do because we believe it should cut through. It has cut through, but we want to see it. How does it cut through to 21st century culture? Anyway, there was this dim uh, brother who was um, a man in the in as I think he used the phrase the last season of his ministry life. So he was a little older than me, scarily not that much older. Uh, uh, but he was sharing about how he remembered, he, he was recently looking over some old files he had, and he recalled back to the, the time when he was brought into the Anglican priesthood. And at his, oh, I forget, what, what would it be called? Who are our Anglicans in the room? Ordination? Invocation? Invocation? Something. He used a different word than ordination. It was a good word. I wish I'd remembered it. It make me sound smart. It's done exactly the opposite. However, at the thingy, let's call it the ordination, he um, had sort of spoken over him this phrase that, and, and the Anglican church is so good at finding short phrases that have lots of meaning, largely because those phrases have survived centuries and centuries. So all the bad ones have been whittled out. And what's left are really good sentences in their liturgy that mean a lot. And he recalled, he read again, that he was charged with the responsibility of preaching the... Uh, preaching the good news of the gospel afresh to every new generation. So this was in 1969 
the call that he stepped into was to preach the gospel afresh so it sounded new to the new generation in the way in which each generation could remember. And I thought, and he was in tears. It was a beautiful moment where he was in tears, partly because I think he was challenged, as we all were in that room, how well are we going that with emerging generations? There was a particular focus on the emerging generations. But also just he, he, he was saying he still wants to spend every last of his days trying to find a way to preach it afresh to every new generation. I thought that's just magnificent. And that's the challenge and the opportunity of the good news of Jesus' incarnation. How is that good news? How do we do that afresh to each new generation? Because the context is different. The message remains. And so this morning, I'm, we're looking at, and as the kids led us in, we're looking at that, um, who got invited? Who was there at that very first Christmas? And what does that say to us? The fact that this is who Jesus invited. What does that say to us about Jesus? about his life, about his kingdom. And um, as we've said, we've, we've, we're picking up this nativity theme, but we're also sort of laying over that a parable that Jesus spoke later in life. And we sang the song a bit earlier, where Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. That's what he came to do. He, he, he came into the world to declare and demonstrate this kingdom of God. There had been sort of a growing whisper throughout the Old Testament about what life was, would be like with God. Well, he came in to usher in a, um, and declare and demonstrate it in a new and fresh way. And so, so many of his parables begin with, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He's not actually just saying, repent because you're a really dirty, rotten sinner. And unless you recognise what a rotten sinner you are, you can't come into the kingdom of God. There's a sense in which that's true. But what the fullness of that phrase, repent for the kingdom of God is near, is... Completely turn your life around and live in a different way because actually the kingdom of God is much closer to you than you realise. You can reach out and touch it. That idea of the kingdom of God is near. It's not, there's a sense in which he's sort of saying, hey, look, God's coming back soon. There's some truth in that, but he's actually saying it's, it's within your reach. You're invited. But it's going to require you to see things completely different, like you've got to completely turn around. Now, following on from that, there's all sorts of behavioural stuff that follows as well. And to recognise that you need to turn around and say that some of the behavioural stuff that you're doing is not getting you where you need to go. So that's all in there. But the fullness of that, the, the understanding these parables. And so when he's talking about the, the banquet, he's saying the kingdom of God can be understood as though it's, it's a banquet of a king. And, and so a banquet of a king is something that's important. It's celebratory. It's rich. It's festive. And in fact, it was a marriage banquet. It's highly relational where people would understand, as we would do now, wedding banquets, there's so many good vibes going on in those wedding banquets at a good wedding. There's so many things. It's about love and relationship and it's about a great meal and all the, the kind of things and feel and vibe of a wedding banquet. The kingdom of God is like this. And then he goes on to talk about, actually, it's quite surprising. You might be quite surprised who is invited you might be quite surprised at such an important thing as the wedding banquet of a king. And uh, so we've been looking at this idea because all year it's been a theme about tables, as Sharon was said. I really deeply believe, is it for us as a church, but for the, the church, discovering afresh the power 
of hospitality, of what happens when we consider our life to be a table and inviting people in to share the table of your life, which a good place to start is share the table in your house or the local coffee shop or wherever good food or coffee or whatever is served. It's the, the, if we have, if we are a people who can pick up what, is, what Jesus is saying in this parable, but also as we see that he said right from the very beginning, the radical hospitality, the radical grace, the radical openness that would perhaps surprise you and more importantly might surprise your friends who you are inviting to the table. That kind of church, that kind of people. I think there's a deep, deep, deep call from God to his church to become that afresh. It's ancient truth, but we've got to discover that afresh so that we can be the kind of church that preaches the good news to each new generation. Who's invited to your table? So that's one of the things we're looking at. And uh, today we're going to look at the, the shepherds in particular, what this says uh, about who gets invited does anyone recognise what they are? They're not shepherds. They're potatoes. In particular, what kind of potatoes do they look like? Rotten potatoes. Let me tell you a story. Let me just share a little bit. We're all friends here, right? Let me just share. I have a very deep, visceral response to rotten potatoes. Um, who grew up here? I'm about to tell a story of my childhood here, but my childhood was in the northwest suburbs. I grew up in Fernie Hills. Who else grew up in the northwest suburbs in the 80s? And who was around the northwest suburbs in the 80s and 90s? I know quite a few of you here. There was an institution in that time um, called Basil's Fruit Shop. <laughs> See? I knew there'd be someone. Who else? So just opposite where Kmart is at Arana Hills, uh, the, the shopping centre over the other side. Um, now, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't deal in cultural stereotypes. So Basil happened to be Greek who owned a fruit shop and he happened to own it with his brother, Con, who was also Greek. <laughs> but I'm not dealing in cultural stereotypes. Um, now, it was, it was just a, a little fruit shop, um, but he was sort of reasonably well-known, big, big personality. But one of the things also was that he would hire these young boys. Um, it was... He was famous for actually hiring them very young. Some would say, and Cam here, the former uh, commissioner of the tax department, uh, very, very young, maybe illegally young, and then paying them out of the till. Um, now, I was one of those boys. Because uh, my dad, who was, also, who was the son of a, a, uh, a fruit grocer as well, grew up in the fruit, decided that it would be a really good education for me as young as possible to A, get a job, and he loved the idea that it would be the kind of stuff you do in a fruit shop. Um, there was this weird ritual, just a little side track, weird ritual at the end of every sort of uh, session where you would go up to Basil and he would be standing at the cash register because he would pay you out of the cash register. And I still to this day don't exactly know what was going on, but he would ask you, how old are you? Like every week. Uh, yeah, I started working there when I was 12. Um, so 12. And then he'd look off somewhere and do some sort of mathematical equation in his mind and give you a different amount of money each week. None of which ever equated to over more than $2 an hour. 
There's a five. And so this is a. So it was a while ago, but. Um, so, but my dad loved the idea that I was working hard and getting no money whatsoever <laughs> at a very early age. Um, but there was, there was absolutely a hierarchy too of, so of Basil's boys. And you'd do the things, you know, you'd, you'd cart um, fruit around and you'd uh, take fruit box out to ladies' cars. And he was a bit of a charmer. Again, I don't want to deal in cultural stereotypes here, but he was a bit of a charmer. Um, but the absolute worst job that was done by the youngest person in the shop, because there was always a gaggle of these, these boys running around because he could employ about 400 of them at the, <laughs> at the wages he paid. But guess what the worst job was? Sorting the rotten potatoes. So out in the back room in this cold... Oh, it, was, it wasn't cold, it was sometimes really hot. Dark, moist, there was no light in there. All of the potato, 50 kilogram sacks of potato... And in certain conditions at certain times, they would get just covered in mould. And you'd have to go through and sort them into the three kilogram bags. And so you'd sit there and you'd grab them and, and you'd just be surrounded by potatoes and rotten potatoes and have to sort through it. And it is, to this day, I, almost, I can't look at that too often, much, I'll gag. And what it would do, it would leave a stench on you. Now, get this, I mean, I'm, I'm really opening up because I feel very comfortable. I feel I'm amongst friends here. There'd be some days where it would be so, like I'd been amongst the rotten potatoes. I'd come, I'd get my, you know, $4.50, get my 50 cents worth of uh, mixed lollies to try and, um, in 50 cents, you actually got a few in those days in 50 cents, not many, and then wait for my mum or dad to come and pick me up. And there'll be times if dad was picking me up on the way home, I'm sure this is part of his education, that if I'd been amongst the potatoes, you can't get in here smelling like that, son. You'll have to walk home. <laughs> Insult to injury. I know he loves me and thought he was doing the right thing. See, Johnny, you get it easy. This is what I tell you. <laughs> if I'm like that. It left a stench. And actually, here's the thing. You get where we're going with the shepherds. The shepherds, we know this. They had the kind of job that left a stench, literally. And throughout history, those kind of jobs, usually they're not particularly fractured. Now, I actually got my own back because the one thing at Basil's fruit shop, I, you could get away, I could eat as much fruit as I wanted to. So I made up for it in fruit. I made up for it. Um, but throughout history, there's always been those kind of jobs that are done by people in the lower stratas of society. And often they start off because it literally leaves a stench. And that stench of what it were, the conditions of that role, and that stench was so pervasive that eventually it actually, that, that smell lingers onto that person. So they become, those kind of jobs are done by those kind of people. Because that's, if, if, you, if you could, you wouldn't do those kind of jobs. Uh, recently, Micah this year was learning about the Industrial Revolution. And he came, Micah's the sort of kid who just loves... There's certain things that he just loves to learn, unique things, not necessarily the curriculum or what's being taught, but other things connected to it. He came home, and I actually remember being like this. You might too. When you learn about the Industrial Revolution, there was someone's job. Remember the night soil man? There was someone's job who had to go around. I mean, night soil, that's a very political, that's a very polite term. They're actually collecting all the poos and wees. And he came home, he said, Dad, you wouldn't believe that. It was so, like, I couldn't figure out if he was interested in it or disgusted, but... But again, all through history, there's, a, there's a, a job. Who saw the movie Kenny? 
Remember Kenny? This is what I love about Australian culture. We took, so Kenny was a movie years ago, which was about the guy who would actually, we was like the night saw man, a little bit more sanitised in the 20, 20th century, 21st, whatever it was. But remember he's inside that big uh, tank and he pops his head out and said, there's a smell in here that'll outlast religion. <laughs> and that, that whole movie, I love that movie, because in the best Australian way, it celebrates that role. It says, and, and it keeps coming back to, there's all these jokes about the stink of that job. But Kenny is just a beautiful guy. And so it's, it's, subver- it's very subversive in a very Aussie way where it's trying to say, no, actually, that stink of that job shouldn't, and it doesn't. So it was a very Christian film. Kenny was a believer. So here's the thing with our... Um, we, we know this about our... Uh, let me go... About the shepherds. It, it's quite remarkable that they are there because they have one of those kind of jobs where there's a literal stench, a stench uh, connected to it. And you see here, where are all the important people? So this is the great sort of takeaway often about the nativity of who got invited. That's what we... Who got invited? Well, to the table, sorry. Back, back, back. Where are all the important people? There's animals, foreigners, there's nobodies, animals. And then look at what the descriptor is for the shepherds. Unclean. Next to poop. Because actually that was literally what happened. Here's another one. We put up our little nativity scene this week. Here's some unco- uh, unpopular nativity scenes. The first one is shepherd looking at what he stepped in. <laughs> so it's this really well-worn kind of um, meme almost about the shepherds is they stunk. And because they had a job that stunk, they must have been those kind of people who were at the lower strata of, of society. And, uh, yeah, I've no idea what the spitting camel thing is there. I like Mary regifting. The wise man would travel for tea. Um, so there's this thing we get. This is the point. It's amazing that here Jesus, at the very start, God, heralds and says, as we read uh, with the play here, it's not that just that the angels came and said, look, this is happening, and we're honouring you by telling you. The angel actually says, you will find them. That's an invitation. Go. You're invited. You will find them when you go. So there is an invitation to the table to be there at the arguably the most important part of time in human history. And they come regardless of the stench. Now, there's a very true and very clear thing to remind ourselves that every year we probably do this and at other times, um, that actually we, we, those who are not in the lower strata of society in lower socioeconomic circumstances who are who are, have means and if you are sitting here and if we're looking at if we're honest and looking at a world scale that's you that's all of us we have means you might maybe identify as working class you maybe most of us here absolutely are middle class to upper middle class and beyond certainly in terms of world's poverty in terms of our means and so there is this message that speaks to us about saying we've got to think about those who have less means to us and invite them to our table. Good message. Be really careful. Be really careful about that one because there's a way of responding and living out of generosity to that which actually just says, sure, come to the table and as you do that, feeling very worthy that at the table of your life or whatever it is that you're inviting people to, look how good I am because I'm in this position of life and those people aren't. 
And so we can do it. And a lot of charity, be careful, because a lot of charity, and I use that word, is done that way, which actually just reasserts and reminds ourselves subtly or not so subtly that we have means and they don't, and so we'll live out of generosity towards that. The kingdom actually isn't like that. The kingdom says when you come to the table, we're all equal. Who's been to a dinner party or been to a social setting where whatever it was that you felt separate or other to than the people there kept being reminded? Did you feel comfortable? Did you feel like it was a table you wanted to come back? When the subtle language or the, that just kept telling you you're slightly different, did it feel like a hospitable table to be at? It's not the table of the kingdom to be like that. But this morning, I want to just take this one step further. So there's an encouragement there for us to invite to the table of our life on behalf of Jesus. Because that parable, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like, th- is like this. And he tells this parable with the understanding that those who would come and follow Jesus, guess Guess who is responsible? Who is the like delivery method of the kingdom of God? Us. So if Jesus is saying it's like this, it's like a table and there's a surprising invitation, it's surprising who gets invited, then our lives need to be the kind of lives that would maybe surprise others who we are inviting into that table of our life. So that's, that's good. But I wonder if just for a moment, we can reflect on maybe a more modern experience. And particularly, I would say this is an experience of being a 21st century Westerner living in an urban context. Might be true in other places. I don't know those contexts as well. But I do know this is true here. So it's easy for us to recognise the shepherds and what separates their otherness comes from the fact that they have a job and are therefore a social setting that puts them down the class. And so it's a lot of that's connected to their material station in life. And we're reaching across that to level the playing field. I feel like increasingly in our world, and again, it's this idea of the stink. You don't want to be too close to shepherds because the stink of their job rubs off on them and then the stink of who they are rubs off on you. The stink of their class, their social setting rubs off on you. And you just always want to be a step removed, lest that stink comes onto you. And the audience, whoever the audience we feel is in our life that's watching, might think, are you with them? Oh, that's the, I, I, okay. They, They sort of, whatever that stink is of perspective rubs off on you. So that can happen with class, social setting, material goods. Increasingly, I, f- I notice that it's often, as we become increasingly tribal, the stink of someone's politics or the stink of someone's theological perspective or the stink of, and I think this is probably true for younger generations but not exclusively, I'm going to use the word, the stink of someone's lifestyle aesthetic, the movie's they watch, the music they listen to, where they choose to eat their food, that, that, their, their kind of, their vibe, their, their aesthetic. The stink of that, if it's different to yours, is increasingly how we tribalise. 
And it comes up where that's also the idea that we would want to separate and make it really clear to the audience of the people that we're playing to in our lives, those are important, to say, oh, we're not like them. So if we, if we share a table, if we share a workplace, if we share a family, if we share a church community, we understand as believers that we've got to have some level of connection, but we would want to put little things in that just make it clear that we're not exactly like them. You know the coding in the language that says, yeah, yeah, we know we're meant to love them and like them and be generous and nice to them, but I don't think for a moment that I am with them. You get what I'm saying here? I just, I wonder if that is increasingly the stink of those things. I see it, I think we see it really strongly politically, increasingly. It's, it's really concerning to me. Because increasingly as I struggle to see on either side of politics something that I could honour as being truly Christian, it seems that increasingly people feel like there is only one way. Not, I don't think we have a lot of it here, which is great. But increasingly we're becoming so tribal and within the church that you can't be insert political, you can't vote for insert political party or you can't believe... You can't follow Jesus and be a progressive. You can't follow Jesus and be a conservative. I'm very, very concerned about the way, because it's like, that's avoiding. And don't let the stink, because I believe, I've got this deep set of convictions about life, about faith. It happens within denominations. And I think the nativity speaks to that. Who's at your table? Who, who, do you this Christmas need to risk being seen to whoever you're concerned about, whoever you might feel if you're in conversation and feel need to insert a qualifier about, oh, let's, we're talking about such and such. Oh, yeah, they're a good person. I don't agree with everything they believe, that little coded language. I don't agree. I don't go with everything they believe. Just needing to step away. You know who didn't seem to do that at all? Jesus never seemed to be, when he was around some pretty socially stinky people, never felt the need to insert, if anything, was happy for people to be confused as he engaged with the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman. Interestingly also, as he engaged with Nicodemus, so his, literally his tribe, the Jewish tribe, and, and the people there, the, the Pharisees, Nicodemus was a Pharisee who had a very, he absolutely invited Nicodemus to the table of the kingdom. That would have been the disciples. What are you doing? Because it was seen that the, the Pharisees were in bed with the Romans. Think of the Roman centurion that he blessed by bringing healing. He never, you don't read qualifiers where he just says, oh, I don't agree with everything they say. He just kept inviting them to the table of the kingdom. So I'll get the, the band to come up. Actually, if we can do, I, I love, didn't know we were going to do O Holy Night, the second verse of O Holy Night. Could you put that up, the second verse there? Speaks to the, exactly this, about the, the way Jesus comes. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Next one, thanks, mate. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother. It's not just inviting him to the table as the slave and saying, look, at, look how diverse, look how politically correct and diverse my table is. There's a slave. No, no, it's just, he's my brother. 
So my, the challenge that I feel of this story that uh, I'm very familiar with, say so in our time, maybe the shepherd in my life isn't just the person who is of a more disadvantaged social class, has less material need or goods than I am. Maybe it's actually someone, maybe there's someone who I'm even less keen for people to see me associate, less the stink of their politics, the stink of their theology, the stink of where they, what coffee they like and where they, whether they go to the pub for a can of meal or eat in the valley or whatever it is. What does it mean to invite those people to my table in a way that says, actually, it's just one table here. I've been thinking a lot about that. As I think about this message of fresh to every generation, I wonder who that is for you. And as we said, we're, we're sort of this advent as we've been looking to look at the, the nativity, the Jesus incarnation story afresh and the invitation to come, the surprising guest list of the kingdom of God. We decided we're going to do, a, it's not even really homework, but we just sort of give an opportunity that we were thinking, look, we're going to have this. We're going to create a table in Grinstead Park. I hope you can all make it. It's going to be a fantastic way to kick off the, not kick off, end the year kick off the end of the year, something. Just feel really welcome to bring someone along. There's no bait and switch. No one's, um, there's no nativity play. Um, Josh might do some juggling maybe or some expressive dance, but that's just because he likes to do it. It's not planned. He just, but just feel free to invite someone, anyone. It doesn't necessarily have to be the, the person who you identify now who is got the stink. Otherwise, we're all going to be walking around sort of, just invite anyone. Just feel to invite anyone because that's what the kingdom of God is like. You're not worried about what others think of who's at your table. So again, yeah, feel free to do that. Um, but yeah, my, my prayer for us is that we increasingly as a church become that kind of place. I think it's always been who we are but a fresh and a new to each new generation, we become, become the kind of place where we don't care. There's such a stink of the kingdom of God here that we can't smell anything else. We can't, which is, I sweat a lot, so that's a good thing. I don't know, I don't know how that practically works out, but spiritually, there's such a smell of the kingdom of God that nothing, we can't smell anything else. We're not even trying to smell anything else. We're not worried about the stink. And in that context... God does amazing things in people's lives around those kind of tables in those kind of places. We're going to just, uh, we're going to sing to finish the service. Um, we have been recently sort of opening up for a time of ministry afterwards and, and music. We're not going to do that this morning because we really want to gather around the Kempsters. You're most welcome to. After we finish, we're going to gather over here. Um, or there's a table next door, quite a few tables. Um, feel free to come and join us for a cup of next door. Be blessed. Have a great week.